Hello and welcome to Liver Talk, a podcast series from Liverwell that shares personal and professional stories about hepatitis and liver-related news. Before we commence, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land wherever you are listening. We pay our respect to the elders, past, present and emerging, and to any Indigenous people who are listening to this podcast. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm Paulette Trevina from Liverwell, and I'm talking today with Shane O'Sullivan, who's one of our lived experience speakers. Shane was diagnosed and living with hepatitis B, and he's here to share his story with us today. Welcome, Shane. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. So, tell us about yourself, first off. Yeah, so my, my name's Shane. I, I, I was born and raised in Ireland, as you, as you might be able to tell by, by the accent. Yes. Um, moved to Australia when I was 24, 25 years old, but uh, seems a long time ago now. Uh, initially kind of just moved down for, for maybe a year or two of, of backpacking and just settled really well. So I've been based here ever since, happily settled in, in Melbourne and yeah, enjoying life here. Great. And planning to stay? Yeah, planning to stay. I mean, I always kind of sit on the fence with that question a little bit because yep. you, you never know what next year is going to bring, mm. but for the moment I'm more than happy here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so hepatitis B, tell us about your initial diagnosis. So mm-hmm. my, my partner at the time started showing signs of jaundice and she obviously went to, the, went to the doctor to get checked out and one thing led to another, we both got tested and it turned out that, that she'd acquired acute hepatitis B. Mm-hmm. When I got tested it turned out I had, I had chronic hepatitis B. Right. So that was the first time I had any kind of inkling or idea that I might have, have had something that showed no symptoms that I was aware of up until that point. How did you feel about the diagnosis? Was it a real shock at that stage? Yeah, it was a shock and it was, I mean, first of all, it was getting my head around, okay, what does this mean? Like, mm. what is hepatitis B? Yeah. I think the only time it had been mentioned to me in the past was, you know, it's, it's not something that's very prevalent or, or discussed much in in Ireland Mm. but I remember when I was kind of I think late teens early 20s and I was traveling overseas to Southeast Asia and then you have a list of recommended vaccines if you're going to certain parts of the world hepatitis B was on the recommended list but I think you needed to get a series of vaccinations over a period of months yes I'd popped into the vaccination clinic a couple of weeks before I, I went so right. there just wasn't time to get it done so yeah the, the initial diagnosis confusion is scared you know scared when, when you see kind of things like liver cirrhosis potential liver cancer the, these kind of words like set off alarm bells so yeah the initial couple of months was was obviously su- supporting my partner concerned for her feeling scared for both of us and then a little bit of shame that you know, I kind of felt responsible for her in the sense that it's something that I had transmitted to her. And so it was just dealing with, yeah, a few different things there. Yeah, yeah that's a difficult situation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And how's your treatment been during that time? Yeah, so treatment has been pretty light touch. I mean, I'm fortunate in that my liver is still in pretty good working condition, mm-hmm. despite, you know, enjoying a drink as much as the next Irish guy does. Yeah, sure. So obviously my habits have changed since then, but the treatment up until, I would say, 2020, 2021, consisted of just biannual checkups. Mm-hmm. So I'd pop in to see my specialist, get some blood tests done beforehand, check the liver function, check the viral load, all your standard markers, and every 12 to 18 months I would get a fibro scan done. Mm-hmm. I did have one biopsy done a few years ago as mm-hmm. well. So relatively non-invasive, and 
nothing ever really set off massive alarm bells for the specialist, but some of my, my liver function tests were always slightly elevated. Mm-hmm. On the advice of my GP, who, who kind of takes a special interest in liver health, um, so I started seeing a new GP a few years ago after I, I moved to, to a different area. She looked at the history of my results and kind of said, you know, I'm not telling you to seek a second opinion, but if you were my brother or my mate, I'd probably be at you know, telling you to go and see someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, I appreciated that, and I was like, well, what's the harm of getting a second opinion? Yeah. Went to see another specialist who, who kind of said straight away, like, what is the drawback to getting you onto Entecavir or some sort of medication now? Mm-hmm. It's going to bring your viral load way down, it'll get your, your liver function back in check, and there's no massive side effects. <laughs> Financially, it's expensive if you're not covered by Medicare, right. which at the time I wasn't because right. of my, my residency status, sure. which we can get into a bit later. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I mean, my treatment overall has, has changed in the last year and a half in that I'm now on medication, um, but a tablet every morning. And, you know, not being able to eat for the first 30 minutes of the day isn't a bad thing. <laughs> and have, <laughs> have you felt different being on that treatment? No, not at all. Okay. No. Right. No. So it's obviously changed. having good effect. On your liver. So the tests that I've seen since uh, I'm still seeing my, my new specialist every six months, the viral load has dropped drastically, right. and the liver function markers are back in the appropriate range. Right. So everything looks really good. I wouldn't say I feel any different getting out of bed in the morning or going to bed at night. Yeah, but you're obviously a fairly healthy person. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think I, I live a relatively healthy lifestyle. Right. Um, like to stay active. I'd be fairly conscious of kind of what I'm putting into my body as well in terms of food. And although I do like, I do have a bit of a sweet tooth as well. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not a crazy health freak and really strict about what goes in. Mm-hmm. But, but broadly speaking, I am. And yeah, I mentioned alcohol briefly earlier, which would have been, you know, a lot of my social life. As I'm sure, like if there's any young guys, uh, youngish guys listening to this, <laughs> yeah. or, or girls, yeah. they can probably relate to like Australian society, Irish society. Mm. A lot of socialising revolves around alcohol and yes. everything that goes with it. That does feel like it's changing a bit now. Maybe yes. the next generation uh, are going to be a bit different. But yeah, a lot of my socialising revolved around alcohol, and that mm. was something I had to take a decision at some point. To I, I decided to go cold turkey and just mm-hmm. cut it out completely. Okay. You know, doctor's advice is you can stick within the recommended guidelines and have, mm. you know, whatever it is, a glass of beer every yep. day if you really want it. Yep. I just decided to go cold turkey yep. for me. Yeah. yeah, that has changed, hasn't it? They said that the non-alcoholic drinks market is the fastest growing adult drinks market. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's all just blossomed. Yeah, and I actually noticed walking through, I think I was in Woolies uh, the other evening with a friend, and there was a huge shelf of what mm. looked like alcohol mm. in the soft, like mm. the soft drinks. And we're like, shouldn't this be in a yeah, uh, separate section? Shop, yeah. And you look a bit closer and everything is non-alcoholic. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I think they're trying to really, you know, there's gin there that's it's like gin, but it's not gin, but it tastes like gin. Yeah. Uh, there's a huge range of things you yeah. can choose from. And beer, some really nice beers that are non-alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, some decent beers. And yeah. that's, that's good for me. Like, I, I tend to, I mean, if I'm going to get a drink in a pub with friends... I'm happy to get a non-alcoholic beer. Mm. Some of them taste okay. Some of them maybe yeah. can improve. Yeah. But yeah. But they've yeah. come a long way in the last, say, two years or something, three years. Oh, the market seems to have yeah. grown massively. Yeah. No, it's yeah. a good thing. So what do you wish that you'd known right at the start? Uh, you know, I had a bit of a think about this one last week, just having conversations about this topic. And basically the first one is, you know, being completely unaware of what it meant to have hepatitis B. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure if I was dying and all these thoughts go through your head until you wrap your head around the initial diagnosis it doesn't mean you're unhealthy 
it doesn't mean you're in any immediate danger. For me, it, you know, it, it won't affect any visa or residency applications in Australia. That was a big concern of mine mm-hmm. for, for a while. I didn't understand if I was going to be considered a burden on the health system and all this type of stuff. You know, one of the worries for me was any potential future partners, sexual partners, might might reject me because of the fact that I had mm-hmm. a, a chronic disease. For the most part, you know, people have have never judged me, um, and that's partners included so I've never been rejected because of hepatitis B I might have been turned down for other reasons <laughs> but, but it's never been because About of that so so the, yeah so that was, that was a big one for me mm-hmm. and just yeah for the most part like people aren't going to judge you friends and family just want to know if you're healthy and happy so if I had known all of that on day one mm-hmm. I think the first few months to a year would mean a lot easier yeah definitely and so have your family and community provided a lot of support to you yeah, they have. I won't say, like, I mean, now I don't really feel like I need too much support. If if my tests were to show something a bit more concerning, mm-hmm. I'm sure I would. Yeah. Um, but during that first year, I did need a bit of support. I was leaning on my partner a bit, my immediate family, and the, f- the couple of friends that I told, I was quite reluctant about sharing mm-hmm. with people at the start, mm-hmm. which it's up to you, right? Unless yeah. you, I don't, you don't have to disclose if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But the people I did disclose, they were very supportive. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been very comfortable with the whole thing since then mm-hmm. it's almost just become part of my life I take my tablet in the morning go see my doctor every six months mm-hmm. so support isn't something that I'm massively in need of yeah was there sort of an education process that, where you had to explain hit B to your friends and family for them to understand yeah. your situation yeah and you, you you get all the questions around our toothbrushes have been in the same bowl yeah. for the last um, or the same cup for the last uh, couple of years mm-hmm. What does that mean? Or, you know, if we kiss or if we hug. And yeah, what does it mean for you for the future? Are you going to be okay? So mm. there's a lot of questions I could answer and there's a lot of questions I didn't know the answer to. But yeah, it's just an education process, like you say. So mm. over time, I'm, I'm able to educate myself and then educate the people that, that, that want to know as well. So what advice would you give to other people in your situation? Okay, so in, in, in my situation... If you're aware that you have hepatitis B, you know, make sure you're getting the treatment you need. Don't worry about any stigma or being judged. The infection is treatable. Doesn't transmit to others easily if, if you if you use the the, the right precautions. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's it's not a reason to be embarrassed or ashamed. So I've, I don't go screaming it from the rooftops now. But I'm not ashamed at all. If if I if I feel like I want to share it with someone, I, I, there wouldn't be any hesitation. So yeah, yeah. There's no reason to be embarrassed and. You know, the one thing I'd say is it can actually be a trigger for positive change in your yes. life. And it was for me. Like, I was fortunate that when I found out, I'm, you know, I'm still healthy, my liver's in good condition. But I'm now living a much more balanced lifestyle since I found out. And that's kind of, like, the lifestyle changes that I've made alongside the diagnosis, I feel like they've brought me to a much better place in life. So, I don't know if I'd go as far to say as it was a good thing, but... but Part of it was a bit of a blessing in disguise because it made me look at my my lifestyle overall, um, and I feel like I've kind of made yeah a few changes for the better. That's really good. Yeah, and obviously being being able to be a lived experience speaker is so valuable because you get to share with other people who can you know learn from your situation. Yeah, and then hopefully, I mean, if anything, can take something away from it. it it's it's kind of for me. It's a message of hope and, and yeah, if, if you're worried about what people will think or what, what's going to happen, you know, there's so much support and advice out there and, and it's not the end of the road by any means. So Excellent. Yeah. And one other, actually, just one other piece of advice I'd say, maybe not for people in my situation, 
but maybe for someone who hasn't been tested yet or someone mm-hmm. who's maybe worried that they that they might have contracted something get tested please because mm. I mean like I say that there's no shame or embarrassment surrounded by it the people closest to you just want to know you're okay and if you are if you don't go out and get tested you could be continuing to damage your body you're not getting the treatment you need and, and that's no good for anyone no no that's right and have you had any difficulties accessing care or treatment or have you found <coughs> aspect of things um no so so accessing care and treatment no difficulties for me but the one thing I would say is like I'm aware that my circumstances might not be the same as everyone else English is my first language you know middle class background university education so I'm, I'm aware that you know I'm in a bit of a privileged position in terms of being able to access uh, information and treatment immediately so I don't know if other people if others find it as easy as I would mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And did your um, visa or permanent residency situation make any difference to that? Yeah. So yeah, there was initial fear around that. I mean, I'm actually my, my permanent residency should be getting approved any day now. But but I was on a yeah happy days. <laughs> I was on a actually a working holiday visa at the time. Moved on to an employer sponsored and then to permanent residency. But at the time, I remember thinking I might not be able to stay here. Mm. So there was definitely like fear around visa status and immigration unsure whether I'd have residency applications rejected but I'm on medication now I've, I've seen all of the relevant legislation I've spoken to my specialist about it at length and I've been assured that there's no issues with, with residency approval so I'm not going to go into too much of the details but essentially now the cost of medication isn't looked at over the course of your lifetime anymore so mm-hmm. it would have been a concern for a young person in the past right. they'd look at your total cost the Australian healthcare mm. system over mm. the rest of your life mm-hmm. if they were to grant you residency now they look at it over a shorter period of time and all of the most popular medications for hepatitis B fall under the threshold so yeah initial fear but I'm fully aware now that there's no issue yeah so how does the future look now yeah so future is looking pretty good like I said to you earlier you know um, I'm going to continue my treatment continue seeing my specialist every six months continue enjoying life in Australia and hopefully I'm going to be living a life long enough to have some other ailments to complain about (laughs) in the future. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Liver Talk. For information, visit our website at liverwell.org.au or call the Liver Line on 1800 703 003.